turning to the Word of God and to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58 and... uh, Turning to a couple of other verses, this, as I say, is a meeting with a difference. Just open your Bible at Isaiah chapter 58. At least five years before we came here, about 1983, Before I knew anything about this place, this district, this people, or this area, the verses 11 and 12 of Isaiah 58 kept coming before me. Daily readings, Bible readings, sermons, and even scenes. And we're going to read these verses. Verse 11, and the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee, now here's the phrase, shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. Just around that time, two well-known Christian organizations, over a period of a few months, few weeks, asked me would I do a rescue bid and come in to help them. And every time that I I knew that both of them were waste places, I knew that they were that they had fallen into bad repair. And as I prayed, I wrote in my Bible, no and no. In fact there was three. I have three no's down that, that it wasn't that particular place. And after these verses were embedded in my mind and in my heart. I forgot about them, completely went out of my mind. From 1988, from 1983 rather, to 1988, I was an evangelist across the land here and in other places. I purchased a portable hall, seated a hundred people. Within a couple of weeks of word going round that I had got it, a man I never knew landed with a hundred chairs. A man and woman I never knew landed from County Antrim with an organ. I honestly never knew them. Another man came whom I did know with the electric lights. And another man said he'd haul it wherever I wanted across the province. I was walking up the mall one day down the from where we lived at that time and I kicked a bit of paper what I thought and I lifted it up and it was the Royal National Lifeboat Institution 
And as I looked at that and lifted it up, the lifeboat just jumped out. And it seemed as if God was saying to me, put the lifeboat name on this hall and go and do your work. And I did, and I went to Fermanagh, my hometown, my home county. I had a burden for the border area around Fermanagh. It wasn't a safe place to go at that time for me. But nevertheless, the Lord led me down to Fermanagh. And up and down through that county, we had many missions, many great times. We saw a lot of souls saved in those years. I remember one father and mother and his two sons saved on the one night. Father and mother long gone to the glory and the two sons run a mission hall in Valle Mallard, even to this day. God was giving us souls and God was blessing us. 1986, Pat and I went to the hometown of Derrigonley, right into the midst of our own people. We knocked the doors day and night, put the portable hall up and along with others, conducted the mission. And many people came and some people came to the Lord. One of those meetings one night I looked down from the pulpit and I saw two couples, well-dressed people. I didn't know them and nobody in the Derrigonley in that hall knew them that night. There were two couples from the Quakers here up the road, just one mile from the Quaker establishment, meeting house. And they'd come down and went home and nobody knew who they were. And then a day or so after they rang me and they said, we come down to hear you preaching. We want you to do a mission for us. They told me that the mission hall at the Grange here hadn't a mission for 20 years and it hadn't a Sunday night meeting for 10 years. And Kenneth Hobson, a retired businessman, was the main man and I came and met them. Kenneth Hobson couldn't drive because of his condition and he said, you drive and I'll take you. He told me there were a hundred Quakers living around this whole area. And he drove me up lanes and roads, the houses. Many of them weren't coming to the meeting, most of them. But they were Quakers, and they were Quaker by name, and they were good people. And I didn't know at that time, but God was training me into this area and showing me these lanes and these fields and these houses around the Grange. So the mission started. Started in February 1986. And uh, I only can say that God blessed on that mission. There was one thing stood out in that mission and just, it'll give us just something about the caliber of people. On the closing night, just as I was singing the hymn, the closing hymn, a man fell out of the back row onto the, onto the, I. An ambulance was called and he was rushed to the hospital. I went in to see him in Dungallon Hospital the next day. And he said to me, he said, uh, he had got a heart attack, a coroner. He said, I could feel it coming on during the meeting, but I didn't want to spoil the meeting. 
And he held on. I says, I held on till you got the meeting over. I thought to myself, he was a brave man. And God blessed in that Quaker meeting. And after that meeting was over, I had a burden for this area. I came up through Moy one day and there was five pubs open. That was the time they'd opened the public houses on Sunday. There was five public houses open on Sunday and five churches closed on Sunday night. From Dungannon to Armagh across that sweep of country, there were five churches. And I said to the Quakers, I said, now you need to keep the Sunday night meetings going. And I'll get you four preachers for the first four Sunday nights. I closed that mission on a Sunday, on a Sunday night. And on that Sunday afternoon, I started another in Enniskill. And I was evangelist. But I told them, I said, I'll get you four preachers. And got them four preachers. But that was as far as it went. The Methodist man in the Moy was evangelical. I approached him. I said, you men need to get a Sunday night meeting going to preach the gospel. And uh, I'm always glad that I did that. I said, if you don't, I have a portable hall and I'll bring it somewhere around this country. And so they didn't. And so that's what happened. After a period of time, uh, that's, that's what happened. There was no gospel, no preaching of the gospel in this particular area, apart from Dungan and Armagh, Gortmarin and other places. I sought the Lord, and I'm saying this very humbly this day, <clears throat> and I'm saying it because I want to encourage young people. I sought the Lord in prayer and fasting for three days because I'd finished a mission down in Fermanagh and Enniskillen, and I wanted to know where to put the hall. And I began to pray about this area here and uh, I prayed for three days in Fermanagh. I had a house in Fermanagh and I stayed on my own for three days and prayed and fasted. Didn't get any definite word from the Lord, yea or nay. I came home to my house <coughs> in Langs Crescent and our man Pat said to me, there's a woman she has died and you knew her from the Quakers meetings. She has died and I think you'd need to go to the funeral. And I remember saying to Pat that day, I'm go I'll go to the funeral but I'll not be back early because I'm gonna, something's going to happen. I knew in my heart. I had no word. And I went to the funeral in Killyman. <clears throat> and there, at that funeral, after it was over, one of the Quaker men came came to me and he said, what are you doing now? I said to him, well, I'm still praying about this area because it doesn't seem that you are going to do anything or something to that. He's a big farmer. And he's a young fellow in the house from Lockery College and I remember him looking at him. He says, you milk the cows. He says, you come with me, he said to me. And I got into his car and he drove me to this corner up here. He says, I don't know who owns that wee bit of ground. And that wee bit of ground there where that text of Scripture doesn't belong, didn't belong to this place. That's on its own. It's cut off when the road was made. He says, I don't know who lives in there, but I do know there was a portable hall in there one time, a portable house in there one time, and there's an electric and a 
lactic and water up there. So I went up to the bungalow here to inquire who owned it. They said they didn't own it. And uh, they told me who did own it. And uh, the Quaker man knew him. And he drove me to the house of Jim Reed in my gash. And Jim and Anna knew me. I didn't know them. They knew me. They'd been attending meetings. And I said, you own that bit of ground? They said, we do. We do. I said, I want to do a mission. Now, I was only going to do a mission. I had no intention ever of starting a church. I wanted for a mission. He says, we'll give it to you. I remember the words he says, with a heart and a half. And not only that, but we'll clear it up for you. It was full of briars, bushes, stuff, debris that swept into the road. It was an awful looking place. You wouldn't have known there was a ground in it. And Jim and Anna, on in years, 65 years of age and more at that time, got into it. He had an old Davy Brown and he started to clear it out and work at it and got it ready. And so we put the hall out there. And on the 5th of June, 1988, Alan Barclay led the courses and Pat did the door. And Karen played and we commenced a Sunday night meeting. So no mission, just Sunday night meeting. We're going to do some Sunday night meetings. Now we started at half eight. And that was for the reason, for two reasons. One is I didn't want to interfere with the churches. I didn't come out to interfere with any of the churches and I knew that the churches were at seven o'clock. Plus the fact there was a lot of milking men around here at this, that time and it suited them to come. And the blessed thing began to take off. And there was no singers some nights, there was no testimony, just preaching simple gospel. People began to get saved. And God began to move. And then after a period, we had to turn a couple of dozen away one Sunday night. And between that Sunday and the following, we got another hall. We put it up, took the two walls down, went on, pray, went on there, and people began to get saved. And again, the people couldn't be got in. It was just a move of God, and, and, and it wasn't a day. This was the murder triangle, you know. There wasn't a day, but there was somebody shot or killed in Armagh. There wasn't a day, there wasn't a soul saved or a week. But God began to move and he began to save. And there's evidence of it in this meeting here this morning. And many gone to the glory. And God began to move and to bless in that work. And so we began to pray about what we were going to do. We had half nights of prayer, maybe 20 of us. There was a big house across the road where Matt Hayes is living now, come up for sale. We prayed for it. We heard it was sold. There was a site beside the barrack in, in, in Moy, a good lump of ground. We started to pray a half night prayer for it. And when we were praying, literally praying at one o'clock in the morning, there was a massive explosion. And the police station was blown to smithereens. And that ended that. And so we prayed on. We prayed on and asked the Lord to show us where to go. Then there was an old congregational church in the Moy Square. It was up for sale. 
We prayed for it. Went to inquire the next day. We're told that the Masonic had bought it. And we didn't know what to do. We were really, really turning people away. And we were really getting frustrated. And we didn't know what to do. Hadn't a clue. Never thought in my days of this whole establishment. Actually, the, the people that lived up there in the bungalow, they'd changed hands after we came Jack Dobson bought this bungalow off them and he moved in there just after we came uh, in 1988, just at the same time. We never had a thought that anything like this would happen. Never thought that this would be the place. Never thought. But we knew, we knew that God was doing the work. But we didn't know where it was going to end. Now I want you to listen to this because I only want to give glory to God and I want you young people to understand. Now listen, God is real. And God's timing is perfect. They opened a new Welwers supermarket in Armagh. And one Christmas I was walking through it and I don't go to shops and I don't walk, go to supermarkets. Nobody will tell you that more than my wife. And I don't know, but I was walking with her and I was pushing a trolley through Armas, Welvers and Armagh, and a man came out the side and he hit the trolley and it was Jack Dobson. I says, what are you doing? I knew Jack. He used to come over to the meetings and Jack Dobson, an honourable man and dealt with us very, very well. No man could have dealt with us better. I says, what are you doing here? He says, he says, I never was here in this shop in my life and I don't go to shop, neither do I. And then he says to me this, he says, I'm selling this place out there and I'll give you the first chance to buy it. And I'll tell you the words I said. I said, Jack, I'm not in the beef business and I couldn't buy a box of matches. And he laughed at me. Well, he says, we are moving for certain reasons. And he told me why. Nothing to do with us. He says, I'm going over to Sweden to look at the computer next week. He says, there'll be nobody in the place. You go out and walk around. You look at it. You see what you think. He knew that we were in need. He knew that we were packed out. He knew that people were standing outside at the roadside. So I did that. I came out. And I walked through that gate, old gate there. The river was up to the barn. That was the hen house, 3,000 hens in it. The river was up to it. That's all filling in the car park. And I walked around it. There was rats. There was dead hens. The slurry was out over the side of the pit there where the front of the church is now. And it was an awful place. Honestly, an awful dirty place. And I walked up the, up the lane and I walked around the bungalow and I went home to Armagh. And I got down the end of the study to prepare a Sunday night message for the corner on Sunday night. And the voice whispered to me, Be an old waste place. An old waste place 
And from the day that God took it out of my mind until that day, it never came back. And he said, that's the place. Now, I never heard the audible voice of God, but I've heard him speaking in the Spirit. And he said to me, that day, after I'd walked through this place and looked at it, he said to me, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And I want you to turn to, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. I know many of you are interested about how this work started and how God led. And by the time I'm done today, you'll be glad to be part of it. I didn't know I hadn't a clue what was in Deuteronomy chapter 11, but I heard the whispering voice of God, Deuteronomy chapter 11. I began to read, and I read it down to verse 11. Now this was just with the old waste places ringing in my ears. But the land where you go in to possess, now notice the word possess will be two times in this, you're going to possess it. That was the first thing. He says you're going to possess it. The land where you're going to possess is the land of hills, of valleys, and drinketh water of heaven. And Deuteronomy 8 gives the same, and it gives the rivers, and it gives the brooks. So the hill, the river, and the valley. And I just walked round the valley and up the hill, and watched, looked at the river, and God hit me again. That, that's it. That's the hill, the river, the valley. And then verse 12 says, in verse 10, there's the possessing of it. Verse 11, there's the placing of it. It's within the boundaries of the hill, river, and the valley. Verse 12, there's the protecting of it, the land which the Lord thy God careth for. For the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year unto the end of it. And then verse 14, there's the promising. Now, this is not fulfilled yet, but it's going to be fulfilled. All the rest has been fulfilled. And the other scripture that I'm going to show you about starting a church has been fulfilled. But this one has not been fulfilled. But I'm prophesying this morning on the authority of God's word before the living God of heaven that this is going to be fulfilled before very long. Right? I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain. Now, I'll be telling you in a few minutes that we experienced the first rain. But we have never experienced the latter rain. Of course, as you know, that that speaks of revival. The latter rain speaks of the pouring out of God's spirit in revival. hasn't been fulfilled yet, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. And I read down these verses and saw the possessing of it, and I saw the placing of it. I saw the protecting of it, and I saw the promising of it. And I knew that it was God's word. Souls were being saved weak. God was blessing. 
And we approached Jack Dobson. And Jack Dobson sold us this whole complex. A few men got together, farmers and others, and interest fee loans, and we gathered up £85,000. Paid it for the bungalow, for this ground where the hen house was. The hen house had 3,000 hens, but he had it rented out to a man. And it was the hen house we wanted. We wanted the hen house. And so, we went to prayer because the man that had the hens in, I used to call them every day. And I used to say to him, how's the hens laying? And the answer I wanted to hear was that stop laying and that get out. But he said that I've never had a flock of hens like this in my life. He says they're laying better than ever they laid before. So we had a half night of prayer one night. My bold Mr. Barclay entreated the Lord and he cried unto the Lord. He says, Lord, stop the hens from laying. And I went down to him a couple of days after. He says, I never laid better. I told him, you know, we prayed after this, years after this. I told him, I says, you know, we prayed for this. He says, but your prayers weren't answered. Neither they were at that time. But God's timing was perfect. Was perfect. And so, we took possession of this accommodation. Then, a number of people approached me about a morning meeting. And I had the call of an evangelist on me. And I fought that. Because I knew if a church was started, that was me. And I really didn't want to start a church. I didn't come here to start a church. But I prayed and I cried and we called unto God. And again, I went to Fermanagh. Alan Barclay drove me down one Tuesday. And for three days I prayed and fasted on water just alone and sought the Lord and cried to God what he wanted me to do. What really did he want me to do and what way did he want me to go? I want you to turn over with me to the last reading, Ezra chapter 10. Take your time and turn over first Chronicle over first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Ezra chapter ten. Now it's important you get the place. After three days wrestling it out with God knowing what the implications would be, knowing what I knew, or the little I knew, that once a morning meeting was started, my evangelism career was over, almost over. And also I knew that I'd have to contend with 
other churches and other people. And in fact, the word got out and a number of the people that were flooding the places, the two halls and standing on the street on a Sunday night come to me and said, if you start a morning meeting, we'll not be back. We'll not be back. Nor did they come back after we started. I understand that and I appreciate that. That was the sort of thing we were faced with. But we'd come here to start a church. We'd come here to split churches. We'd come here to take people away from their own church. We got it all. Got it all. This place was born in adversity. In adversity. Between planning boys and other churches and other Christians. God only knows. It was born in adversity. And I was down praying and Alan was praying and Norman Wiley was praying and men that were around us and others that some in the meeting this morning were praying that God would show us what to do. And just at the end of the, the, the day, just before Alan Barkley came down to pick me up, he drove me down. I was reading in Ezra and I came to verse 4 of chapter 10. And said, Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee and be of good courage and do it. And I said, Lord, how do I know? How do I know that that's to do with this? I'll need something more than that. And then he took me to verse 9. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. It was the 9th of September, 1990. Did you see that? You young people see that now. We're talking about the direct leading of God. It was the very day, the 9th of September, the 20th day of the ninth month, 20th of September, 1990. And again, as I have always known, when God speaks, that's it. I have to test the Lord and I have to try the Lord and I have done it and tried his patience. And he's been so gracious and so good, but I rose out of that and come, gathered my men around me and said, we're going to start a morning meeting. On the 21st of October, 1990, at 11.30, we gathered for the first time up at the corner. We sang hymn number eight in the old songs of victory hymn book. And we give thanks on the praise of the Lord, my soul of heaven, to his feet we tribute bring. And I preached on Psalm 50 and verse 5. Gather my saints together. Forty-one people were in attendance plus children. And the church had begun at the Grange Corn. And from 1990 to 1998, there was times we touched the very throne of God. The first part of Deuteronomy 
11 was fulfilled. We experienced the early rain. We experienced restitution, repentance, brokenness on the very verge of a breaking through to revival. As the terrorist activity geared up, we geared up. And it seems as if even the Tyrone Courier was right and favorable about what has happened at the Grange Corner. And God began to move, move, move. And then we read out the hen house and got the hens out and the eggs out and all the rest out. And there was an expectation I have never seen since until now in this assembly. The river was into the barn, to the hen house. Slurry and dead hens and rats. I couldn't emphasize the place was awful. It was an old waste place. And when we were reading up, took this corner, end out of that old hen house and built them walls and put those bricks in and opened it all out and got it all sorted out. Remember, it was an old agricultural business built. One day I was walking down there and a fellow walked into the gate, parked the car at the gate and walked in. He says to me, I've got the contract for putting the sewer from the moy to the sewer down the road to the sewer works there just across the road. He said, would you know anywhere where we could dump stuff? He says, I, you boy, I do. Well, he says, I'll draw all this all that's the road stuff in from Mamoy down to here. And I'll fill that car park for you and I'll leaven it and I'll leave it ready, whatever you want to do with it. If you'll allow me to put a couple of, mach- of my machinery into that place at night, back wall was out of it. And so the bargain was done. I want to tell you that that wouldn't have happened a fortnight before it. God's timing and all these things was mighty and powerful and we were living in the good of that and we were so blessed in the, in the, in, in, in the good of it. Then cometh Amalek. Then cometh the devil. In April 1999 to September 1999 we experienced five months of turbulence and turmoil. And if you want a scripture word from it, for it is next 20, grievous wolves entered in, not sparing the flock. And it was as if the wolf and the lion came at the one time. And it was a spring and a summer that I never, ever, Ever, and I know there are those in this meeting this morning who never want to see it again. Many of the lambs in the flock have been badly that badly wounded that they never recovered from it. 
It was an awful, vicious, devilish time. I wasn't that naive to know that in blessing you'll have blasting, but I never thought I'd experience anything like I experienced. The ferocity of it. Over a hundred were reduced to 16. Including myself and others, we, we moved out. I got a few weeks to move out of the manse. And I really was tested and I really was tried. And so was my wife and my girls who stood with me. And I know from speaking to most of the people, I've spoken to most of all of them since, there's not one of them could really tell you why it happened. Many have come and apologized, and I have apologized. And my friend, if we are not prepared to forgive, God told me, he says, I want you to forgive, and I needed forgiveness. I will tell you in a minute that I wasn't without blame. God told me, I want you to pray for all those families, every one of them, every day. And I want you to pray for their families. And I want you to pray that God will bless them more than he'll bless your families. Your family. And the same that he done that. Some, I know, and I emphasize some meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. I resigned. And for those months, I just battled it out with God, kept the promises before, before me. Sammy Workman was ending his minister, and he offered me a thousand-seater tent and a thousand hymn books. And I thought that I'd be back on the road again in evangelism. But the word kept coming, kept coming. And I said, Lord, I don't understand Deuteronomy 11 now. I don't understand it. And maybe some of you are going through a trial this morning and you have words from God and there doesn't seem to be any sign and the whole thing has dropped, the whole thing has dropped on you and you don't know where to go. Well, I was like that. I don't know about Isaiah 58 now. I don't know about Ezra 10. I don't know. I wept, I mourned, I fasted. Never before or since have I had the battle and the struggle and the pain and the sorrow of those months. Only my family knows. One day, I looked out of my bedroom window down on the old barn in the car park. And the still, small voice of God spoke to me. And here's what the voice of God spoke to me. I didn't hear it audibly. Bertie, this is not your work. It's mine. And as Abram lifted the knife to plunge it into Isaac, I want you to lift the knife and plunge it into the lifeboat. Your promises have to die. 
If you get a hold of nothing else this morning, get a hold of this. Promises have to die before they can be raised. Do you hear that now? There must be a death. You see, my problem was that I owned it. I loved it. It was my Isaac. And you often hear me saying in these days, keep your eyes on the reviver and not the revival. That's why I'm saying that. We got our eyes on the revival. We got our eyes off the Lord. I did. And I know others did. And God wouldn't have it. As you put your knife into it, you hand it over to me. And I will raise it. I will raise it. And I did that. I surrendered it all to the Lord and asked forgiveness. I said, Lord, I'm sorry for trying to run it and do it. And I have in my diary the battle for the boat began. And it was a battle. It was a battle. And bit by bit, I say this, and some of the people are in the meeting this morning, and they all agree with me. I say this this morning. Not one that remained here had any leading, had any guiding, had any mandate from God for this work. God did all that to teach me and teach others lessons that we have learned very dearly. And when the promises were dead, they began to rise. And God began to work. That was the first and the worst of many attacks that have come here on this place, even recently over the COVID time. We have been attacked, and we as many, if you know nothing about. Nevertheless, Deuteronomy 11 stands firm. Ezra 10 stands firm. Isaiah 58 stands firm. It is God's work. And God has promised that he will pour waters on him that is thirsty. Most of all the people that we had the difference with come and apologized. Some back. Some didn't come back. But God dealt with this whole thing for his good. It was hard, it was tough, but it was necessary for this hour in which we live. And as I close here this morning, let me, let me say this, that if we keep our eyes on the reviver, we keep our eyes on the Lord. He's going to send the latter rain. This promise is not fulfilled yet. It's being fulfilled at this moment. 
And I would say to you people, I would say to you, you know one of the hardest things of pastor is to see a congregation like this on a Sunday morning and you go and look for a deacon. You go and look for an elder. You go and look for a treasurer. You go, you go and look for a secretary. We have one man and he's doing both. And I thank God for the men that God has brought around this place. I know. I know. Now the reason I got Catherine to sing that hymn is this. On the third Sunday in January 2012, we sang that hymn, Be Still My Soul. And I was sitting around the table that morning, I got chest pains. And when I walked up the lane, they got worse. And I was taken to Craig Avon Hospital where I got a heart attack and got six stents in. And all I could think of was that hymn, Be Still My Soul, The Lord Is On Thy Side. I chose to sing it. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I said, Lord, this place is not paid for. And I said, I would never leave it until it's paid for. And I would never leave it if there was division in it. I would never leave it in a split. I'll leave it in blessing. And we were in unity and blessing at that time, but it wasn't paid for. And I says, Lord, it's not finished yet. Lord, Deuteronomy 11's not finished yet. And I'm not finished yet. And he raised me up in 2012. Never had a day of bad health since. But you know, you look down on a congregation of people and you see them all on Sunday and you go and look for a deacon and an elder because people will not come into membership. Because they don't want the responsibility. Well, I want to say to some of you people this morning, and you're listening to me far and wide, and you go to the judgment seat, you've got asked why God saved you and brought you into a church. And if it would be that he had saved you and brought you into a church for, for to be a deacon or to be an elder, then you're going to have to give an account to God. That's the problem in Northern Ireland, flitting everywhere. Get the paper, something on on Sunday night. Faithful men and women is what we need in this hour. This hour. This is the hour of power. This is the hour when God's going to move. We need men and women who stand with us. And I have these men, we have these men as elders, and we have them as deacons. And thank God for them. And God knows what he's doing. And the men that he's put into place in this house, I, I, I can put her into safe hands. God can take me tomorrow if he wants, and he may do that, but she's in safe hands. And I believe that the vision will be fulfilled. I believe that God will continue to bless. And then I say to you this morning, get in behind this work because you're going to be glad that you did. You're going to be glad that you'll not be on the outside when the blessing comes. Get in behind it. And you young people, get in behind it. Get into the baptismal tank and believe God and start praying and start praising and get into fellowship into the church and get into office in the church and wait to see what God's going to do. That's the cry of my heart.
God has promised that he's going to bless and he's going to move and he's going to do a new thing in the days that lie ahead. And I want to thank God for every one of you this morning. And all I have done this morning is briefly tell you what has been in my heart and how this place came about and how precious it is to so many of us. And many, many people, hundreds of people, have been saved at this corner. And I give glory and thank to God for every moment of it. I had to do it all again, even through the crises. I'd do it all again for this moment. For this moment. When the presence of God is real in our prayer meetings. When the sense of God is real. When people are asking about being baptized and asking about fasting and asking about going on with God, it does my heart good. God answers prayer and he answers fasting. And if you have something in your life, you get into prayer and into fasting. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to God be the glory. Great things he has done. And he's going to do greater things than the You watch the space now, do you see? If we can keep low, keep at his feet, allow him to work, don't take the glory. Belongs to me, Bertie. Doesn't belong to you. Don't you try to run it and don't you try to rein it. Belongs to me. And I say in closing, I'm glad. I'm not easy work with it. I know that. I know that. I thank God for gracious elders and deacons and members who have put up with me. And I thank God for every one of you. And I especially thank God for those of you who went out at that time and have come back humbly into the place and I have people come to me door and I buried people from here that rose up against us. We leave the past behind us and we move on into victory and into blessing. It's a big thing to come back in after what happened in this place. And I thank God for every one of you and I trust that the Lord will continue to bless us.